So Ryan McGee, with all due respect, and I don't know if they deserve respect, but with all due respect to Nebraska, onsides barfing up a loss to Northwestern in Ireland last week, I'm wondering if you could describe the difference in feeling around the sport that you live between week zero, where that happened, and week one, which is staring at us right now. Week zero, it's like, you know, it's the appetizer, right? It's, it's, you might not even recognize it, but you're just so happy to have it when they bring it in at the, at the seven-course meal you can't afford. All right. Here's this thing, right, that has a French name. I have no idea what this is. It's pretty good. It's not great, but it's just enough to get me excited for the fact that I know the steak is coming, and, <laughs> and the steak is coming this weekend. I mean, the steak, the meat, the meat of the backyard brawl. West Virginia at Pitt. Pitt is 17 in the country. Tonight feels bloody and red meaty in ways. And then we have like, yeah, the, the, the entrees, the big dishes. And you, your stomach has what kind of, uh, of a scene going on inside right now? As we speak, I'm, I'm about to head out to the airport and, uh, and head over to uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. And so what I'm telling you is, is that I don't know exactly what I'm going to eat this weekend, but it will be slathered in some sort of barbecue sauce. And <laughs> that's it. When I smell it, when I smell the smoke, I know it's coming. And, and the best part is just seeing the excitement and just the, the palpable hue, right? Is that what we call it? We're writers. We're supposed to use the writerly writer stuff. But like, like Cosine, Neil Brown. palpable hue. Yeah, you, yeah. you mentioned the backyard brawl. We had Neil Brown, the West Virginia head coach on Marty McGee last weekend. And they haven't played this game in 11 years. And he was so lathered up, he couldn't hold his iPhone steady for the FaceTime <laughs> shot. He got so worked up. And so that's, that's exactly how I feel. So, yeah, give me a fork and a knife and whatever they put in front of me this weekend. I'll be, I'll be uh, knocking it down. There is no white tablecloth at the restaurant of college football. I want to be clear about this. There are plenty of locally sourced ingredients, some real farm-to-table dishes, also some of that really expensive raw stuff that gets flown in special from across the country. But at the risk of stating the obvious, this season, like every season, is about to be a giant shirt-staining, better-clean-up-the-table-with-peroxide kind of mess. So today, ahead of week one, and for your dining pleasure, Ryan McGee prepares for us a multi-course menu where the beef is plentiful and mostly organic. And he tells us why you might as well unbuckle your sunbelt right now. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Thursday, September 1st. And this is ESPN Daily. So I want to start in your neck of the woods, in the SEC, in the barbecue sauce, amid the smoke. And we're not going to start here, I think, Ryan, with Alabama, which is a historic event in its own right. Like, we have to start with the team that beat Alabama in the title game. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. And I guess the question is pretty simple, right? Can Georgia just do this again? Can they win the title one more time? They can. I mean, it's interesting to me because obviously this is, was an historic defense. 
Um, and there were so many guys on that defense are in the NFL. And oh, by the way, uh, the first team that they're facing is Oregon in Atlanta, coached by Dan Lanning, who, oh, by the way, was the defensive coordinator for that historic defense. So not only did they lose the dudes, they lost the dude that coached the dudes. But it's Georgia. And no one has recruited at the, at the level. that there Really, there's four teams over the last decade. It's Alabama. It's Ohio State. It's Clemson and it's Georgia. The four of them have recruited at a level that no one else has even come close to. And so because of that, they're just going to reload. The answer is yes, they can repeat as national champions. The problem is, is their biggest issue is right there in their own conference, which is the fact that, you know, we're talking about the team they beat more than we're talking about, you know, the team that won the game. Right, right. I did kind of sneakily do the thing I said I wasn't going to do by mentioning Alabama before saying we're going to talk about Georgia first. And so now we are here at Alabama. I mean, they're number one, right? I mean, let's just be very blunt about this too, right? They get Bryce Young back. He won the Heisman. They do lose John Meachie and Jameson Williams, their star wide receivers. So what to you looks different about the meal that Alabama is trying to serve up? Well, all due respect to Bryce Young, who is going to, he's, he's the latest guy. Uh, to try to repeat that no one's done it, uh, you know, since way back when in the 70s. But the best football player in America is on that team, and he's not the guy who won the Heisman. It's Will Anderson. Looks to the right, pressure up the middle, and driven down again by a completely inspired, menacing Will Anderson. And, and Will Anderson on defense, who has said openly that he wants to win the Heisman. So really, the two leading Heisman candidates, most people you talk to are on the same football team. That usually doesn't work out so well when you start splitting votes at the end of the year. But that's just, that's how good they are. And here's the thing. Right. Will Anderson, their outside linebacker, who is, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. And, and, and you know, just mention him to Mel Kuyper and watch Mel's <laughs> eyeballs pop out of his skull. Watch his hair also it's, begin to vibrate. No, yeah. it, it's ridiculous. And, and, but they're, they're so good. Here's how good Alabama is. Alabama, in this transfer portal deal, you're talking about the wide receivers. Jermaine Burton was at Georgia on the team that beat Alabama in the national championship game, and now he has transferred to Alabama to play wide receiver. And, you know, Eli Ricks was an All-American corner for LSU in 2020, and now he has transferred to Alabama. So they're so good, and the brand is so big they're getting guys coming from the teams that they have competed with for national championships in like the last three years. If you're around the SEC, if you're not Georgia, not Alabama, who is plausibly a contender beyond those two teams, given that sort of disparity you've just outlined? Well, on paper, it's Texas A&M. Um, and Texas A&M, obviously, they beat Alabama a year ago. The, you know, the first time that a Saban assistant had finally beaten Saban, a former Saban assistant in Jimbo Fisher. And, and then, of course, uh, Kirby Smart did it, you know, right after that. But A&M finally got over that hump. And then they just tripped over themselves in the last month of the season. They didn't capitalize on the fact that they finally beat Alabama. There was so much focus on when are we going to get past Alabama. Here's the thing. I throw this stat out all the time. It drives the A&M people crazy. They have the facilities. They have the coach. They have the roster. Now they have the win over Alabama. But the last time they won a national championship, I looked it up. The number one film at the box office, Gone with the Wind. <laughs> that was a minute ago. <laughs> they won a con the last time they won a conference championship was in the 90s. Oh, so God. they have all the toys. They have all the money. 
every time you go there, there's construction cranes from one side of College Station to they're all, right. all building athletic facilities. But, you know, until they win the trophy, um, I believe they could be a national title contender, but I need them to actually be one uh, before I'm going to believe. Yeah, and somewhere right now, Jimbo Fisher is saying, frankly, McGee, I don't give a damn. Yeah, that's what he said to Saban. Yeah, so it's, I'm sure he has no problem saying it to me. So I want to shift to the other neck of the woods that you tend to frequent because the ACC has another sort of just like, okay, there's a team we all know at the very top, Clemson. They won 10 games last year, but last year, this is very important for people who fell asleep to know, they missed the playoffs for the first time since the playoffs started back in 2014. So how is Dabo Sweeney feeling right now? Well, he's never lacked for confidence. And so that that's the air that he is putting on right now. They recruited at this incredible level. Uh, you mentioned, I mean, they've been in the playoff basically every year. Um, and here's the problem down in Clemson. What Nick Saban has always been able to do is replace coaches that he's missing all the time. He, he's, he has a revolving door of coaches. At Clemson, they have kept the same staff together pretty much through this entire incredible run of success that they've had. That's not the case any longer. We saw some, some cracks in the armor a year ago when one of the offensive coordinators left to be the coach at South Florida. Well, now Tony Elliott, the other offensive coordinator, has left to go be the head coach at the University of Virginia. Not only that, Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator, really the guy who changed everything at Clemson. He's the guy that they brought in after they got destroyed in the Orange Bowl by West Virginia a decade ago. Brent Venables has gone to Oklahoma. And so the question about Dabo Swinney has always been, we know he's a good CEO. The question is, how good of an actual X's and O's football coach is he? And is he only as good as his staff? Well, that staff is not the old staff. And so we saw problems with that last year, consistency-wise, and that's only gotten worse. So we'll see. Everyone has Clemson sitting in that fourth spot right behind the big three. Um, I need to see them play a little bit before I'm ready to declare them back to where they were. And their quarterback, and I'm going to let you pronounce the name so I can pretend like I know how to pronounce the name, but their quarterback, how is he looking to you? DJ Ayungalele. That's how, that's mm. how we say it in Charlotte. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he struggled. I mean, there's no question about it. And, and on paper... I mean, you know, he he's he's exactly what you want. He's the prototype. He is the one that was and, and did step right into this ridiculous conga line of quarterbacks that they've had at Clemson going back more than a decade. But last year, he just he threw it to the wrong jersey a lot. From the pocket. Intercepted! Jumping the route! It's Christopher Smith! A foot race! Can the quarterback catch him? He cannot pick six, Georgia. And they could not rely on him. And this year they're going to have to. But but here's the thing. I mentioned all this recruiting that these schools do. DJ is not going to have very long. Because if DJ struggles early, um, unlike last year, he's got a couple of four- and five-star guys that are chomping at the bit to play. And if Dabo starts to feel like the season's teetering, uh, he'll, he'll pull that trigger quick. So the other question that comes up in the ACC pretty much every year 
McGee is in Miami, and we've talked a bunch about Miami, about NIL, about John Ruiz, their whole business operations on this pod. But football-wise, they're ranked 16 in the country. They have Mario Cristobal, their new head coach, who seems like he is personality-wise. Like, yes, he is, he is rightfully a mayoral figure in South Florida. Is he the right guy in South Florida, so far as you can tell? If he's not, I don't know who's going to be. I mean, the good news for Mario Cristobal is is that Manny Diaz, who was just a handful of plays away from having a gigantic season a year ago and, and lost his job because of those handful of plays, he's left a lot of talent in the building. And Mario Cristobal, he was a member of the Glory Days teams. And so now when you go to practice in Miami, you start seeing all the guys from the 80s and the 90s hanging out. And those incredible early 2000s teams are all hanging out. And they all seem to believe. But let me tell you about those guys. I've seen them on the sideline there before for a lot of other coaches. And if Miami struggles early, um, and if, certainly if they struggle past uh, 2022, then uh, those dudes, whether they were teammates with Mario or not, uh, they'll go back to doing whatever they were doing before and complaining publicly because that's what mm. they do. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you, McGee, you never want to lose the Uncle Luke, the Luther Campbell. You never want to lose the two live crew demographic. Yeah, and you really don't want to lose uh, the demographic of all those guys that are in Canton uh, that you played with who are all counting on you. You're saying that not letting down Ray Lewis and Ed Reed is a task to take seriously. Yeah, I'm saying that uh, with all those dudes on the sideline that changed the game of college football, and, and oh, by the way, you were in the locker room with a lot of them, yeah, you better take care of your business. And the ACC is so fascinating to me because forever and ever, amen, it was Florida State and then everyone else. And now for the last decade, it's been Clemson and then everyone else. And you look at NC State. And, yeah, they got a chance to make a lot of noise. Devin Leary is really great at quarterback. You got Miami, who's got a chance to make noise. You got Wake Forest, who unfortunately lost their quarterback, but they were really good a year ago. Oh, by the way, Pitt's good. But, again, it's the ACC. It's the spaghetti pile of college football. So until someone knocks off Clemson with regularity, um, which we didn't think would ever happen to Florida State, but it does all the time now, um, it's still going to be the ACC. So we go from the spaghetti pile of the ACC to what sort of carb are we using to describe what the Big Ten is now, McGee? Because on the one hand, it's the most carbs. On the other hand, I don't really know like what the conference is outside of the fact that Ohio State, number two in the country, preseason favorites, like should be deeply respected. So what are we looking at here exactly? Ohio State is loaded. They are so good. C.J. Stroud had one of the greatest postseason performances I've ever seen a year ago. And no one noticed it because it happened outside of the playoff. Certainly no one nationally noticed it like we did in other games. But, you know, what's Michigan going to be? You know, they finally got over the hump. Jim Harbaugh finally had a great season. Uh, they finally made it to the playoff. They finally beat Ohio State. Um, now the question is, after losing so many guys off that team, you know, Aiden Hutchinson was a Heisman Trophy finalist. He's gone. So what can you do with that squad? And then Wisconsin's Wisconsin and Michigan State's Michigan State and Iowa's Iowa. And there's a bunch of teams in there that could very easily win 10 games. Here's the thing. Yeah, I'm getting a loaded mashed potatoes flavor profile from this whole conference so far. It's the tractor pull conference of America. 
And, you know, obviously, yes, C.J. Stroud is C.J. Stroud, and there will be some offensive explosiveness. But at the end of the day, all Wisconsin does is grind you into the ground and win 10 games a year. I don't believe they're good enough to win the national championship. Probably not good enough to make the playoff, but they are certainly good enough to ruin the season for everyone else in the conference. And I'm not just saying that because people keep telling me that I look like the head coach. <laughs> Wait, so this is the thing that you just hear all the time? I didn't know. Wait, you and Paul Christ? Yeah, me that's, and Paul Christ. I get it so much on social media that at the college football awards show, when they inexplicably bought Marty McGeehan to work the red carpet, I had Wisconsin players walking up to me and going, we don't agree. We don't think you look like him at all. I'm like, y'all even have heard about this up there? So, yeah. <laughs> but I'll just say he's a handsome man. And that's a... Uh, you know, McGee, I am looking at a Google image gallery of Paul Christ. And I got to say, like, I, 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 if it's on the spectrum between Paul Christ and Clark Gable, you are a little bit more Paul Christ. Paul Christ and I have agreed that uh, we'll just we'll just publicly say, man, that's a good looking guy over there. And we'll let everybody <laughs> else do with it what they will. Coming up, what Lincoln Riley, another new old face, has in common with Robert Downey Jr. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. So, McGee, we were just talking about how you allegedly do or do not look like Paul Christ. Both of you truly handsome men. But in terms of the coaching carousel, like where these faces are popping up now, it is wildly confusing to keep track of who is where. And the past eight months have brought chaos and out west in the Pac-12, right? Like, hey, Lincoln Riley, you're here now. It seems like you've been here for a long time, but you just got here from Oklahoma. And so... That offense, the air raid, the Hollywood vibe of a guy who had never been in Hollywood before. How do you see this working out? Yeah, a guy in Hollywood who now owns basically Tony Stark's house overlooking the Pacific Ocean <laughs> and and grew up in a town in Texas that's that's almost as big as my house. I mean, it, it's, right. it's an amazing story. But the question is, you know, what, what the detractors will tell you about Lincoln Riley is that the further his teams got away from the Stoops teams, from the teams that we were used to seeing win 10 or 11 games every year. And the further he got away from the roster that he inherited when he took over that program, there were, there were problems. There were issues. And so the question is, can he do it? I mean, can he do it on the West Coast by himself? I'll tell you this. No one rides the transfer portal like Lincoln Riley. It's insane, the all-star team that he's put together. Oh, by the way, including a couple guys who, who came in from Oklahoma. I've never criticized Lincoln Riley for taking that job. Um, I've understood why. Uh, you know, If USC is going to throw that kind of money at you, 
if they're going to give you a chance to go to the West Coast in a conference that feels like a much easier road. Yes. If you can get a robot butler yeah. in your mansion, go 100%. do it. You got to get a robot butler. And yeah, I'm going to be really, really disappointed if we don't hear him on the sideline asking Jarvis what play he should run next. So the other guy that we got to talk about here, right? Because you mentioned him before, but Brent Venables, the guy who took over for Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma, who replaced him, is the defensive wizard who was engineering so much of the success of Clemson under Dabo Sweeney. And what's the, what's the hand that he's now going to be playing in Norman? Well, that's where he was before. And, and he was a part of all those amazing teams. You know, the team that almost won the national championship against Tim Tebow uh, in 2008. I mean, he was there forever before he was hired away. It was a shock when he left Oklahoma to go to Clemson. But I had a conversation with Brent Venables years ago. And he was so deeply and passionately pointed when he told me, I don't want to be a head football coach. I like my role. And why not? I mean, he's making millions of dollars a year to be a defensive coordinator, which when you're a position coach, when you're a coordinator, you get to worry about football. When you're the head coach, and he's a first-time head coach, no matter how long he's been in this game, which is decades, there's the stuff that you don't know is coming. Right, the CEOing that you referred to That's before. It. Mac Brown's always told the story about when he was at Texas, and he's walking out to the practice field one day, and they got the play sheets, and they've been watching film, and they're ready for, to go out there and, and, and put it to work on the field. And a helicopter land. As he's walking toward the practice field, a helicopter landed, and they go, Coach, you got to get on the helicopter. Well, I'm going to practice. No, uh, the, the governor of Texas, his wife's birthday is tonight, and you got to go <laughs> and make an appearance at the party. And he's like, I have to get ready for Oklahoma State. And they did not care. And so – it's that part of the job. It's your quarterback flunking math. It's your, you know, your your starting middle linebacker girlfriend broke up with him and he don't feel like practicing today. It's it's all those things you have to deal with, being the CEO of a corporation, because you just don't understand what it is like to be the boss, even though you think that it that you do. I think Brent Wimbles can do it, but I'm curious to ask him six months from now what parts of the job he did not see coming. Well, speaking of like trying to connect to a new electorate, speaking of town-gown relations, McGee, I, I, I just have to ask, are we done? Are you done? As a guy with an actual, like, real-life Southern accent, are we done laughing at Brian Kelly? It's a great night to be a Tiger. I'm here with my family, and we are so excited. No, not a chance. And when, when we have Brian Kelly in the hot seat on our Marty McGee preseason shows that we'll call it talking season where we talked to all the SEC head coaches. He sat down and he literally watched him take a deep breath because he knew. Now, Marty and I are both <laughs> accused on social media all the time of having fake Southern accents. I want to tell you this is a safe haven because you have made it to the natural habitat for the two foremost experts globally on fake Southern accents. That's right. <laughs> okay? According to Twitter, we don't, our accents aren't our real. Our accents are not real. Right. So I want to start right there, okay? What happened? It's Boston meets Midwest meets Louisiana. Yeah. And so I said family, which is how I say it. Right. But they're like, the guy from the Midwest can't say it that way. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I'm really from the Midwest, but I got a Boston accent. Yeah. 
So it's been, it's, I think it's just a, a cross-pollination of three different accents coming together as one. For a couple of years, I was the only Southerner at ESPN back in the 90s, right out of college. Literally the only Southerner on campus. Reese Davis was there, but he doesn't sound Southern anymore. And so I'm up there, and people around me would just start saying y'all all the time and using it the wrong way. So I get it on some level with Brian Kelly, but at the same time, uh, I don't get it. The thing is, what was more egregious was the dance. He did this. Oh, uh, yeah. They had one of those yeah. uh, circle camera deals. Yeah, the 360 yeah. panoramic surrounding you and making a cool, like, gift thing. But him trying to do, like, Travolta and Uma Thurman in the club at Pulp Fiction with the circle camera. But you know what? He also owned social media for about 48 hours because of that. So maybe maybe there's, you know... It is the whole, like, is any attention just good at this yeah, point? Yeah, PT Barker, because, right? Yeah, get, right. Whatever, whatever attention you can get, take it. So I guess as a football concern, how do you feel as an LSU fan outside of the theater that has been foisted upon you by your head coach? Well, what I try to tell people about Brian Kelly, and people feel very strongly about Brian Kelly either one way or the other. And more people don't like him than like him. And, and I'm and Notre Dame people, most of them were ready to help pack him up and move him out. Correct. Um, even though he brought them a ridiculous amount of success during his tenure. But Brian Kelly now is not Brian Kelly 10 years ago. Um, and I have a hard time trying to convince people of that. But the first time I tried to interview Brian Kelly when he was in Notre Dame, I thought he was going to punch me in the face the whole time. And now... <laughs> he will be a little too honest about things and, and all the difficulty. You know, it took him forever, forever, just to get a little video screen approved to put in Notre Dame Stadium because that's not what New Rockney had. And that wasn't the old Longinus, whatever it was, you know, analog clock they had in, in the, in that's the right. corner. And so those are the fights that he had every day just to try to recruit and to try to modernize. Can I renovate the locker room? Yeah, what do you want to do? At Notre Dame, that was 10 years worth of meetings and fights. At LSU, if he comes in and says, you know, I think it would really help us recruit this kid, this five-star out of New Orleans, you know, if we have, you know, if we have our own private helicopter to go there and get, okay, coach, we'll buy yeah, a private helicopter with a tiger inside me. They don't care. Just, uh, yeah, they don't care. So the look, the look of liberation on his face, again, I don't blame him for taking that job. Now, he, granted, he's in the SEC West, so life's going to be tough, but he has a blank checkbook in Notre Dame. Uh, he didn't have that. So everyone was trying to send Brian Kelly packing by the end of his time in Notre Dame as it became clear that he was trying himself to get out to LSU. What's it like to be Marcus Freeman right now, McGee? Because he was their defensive coordinator last year. I have consumed so much Marcus Freeman content in which it becomes clear to me that however you feel about Brian Kelly, it might be best to describe Marcus Freeman as the opposite in terms of vibes. So what's your sense there? He is definitely not Brian Kelly. And and it comes he came across immediately. His first press conference made you want to run out onto the field and lay somebody out. I didn't care if I was in high school. I wanted to be the best football player I could be. Right? I got to college, I wanted to be the best college football player I could be and be a part of the best team I could be. You get drafted in the NFL, you want to be the best NFL player you can be. And then I had a a moment where I had to make a decision. What's next for me? You know, and I got into coaching and I've told this story before, but I got into coaching because I was like, man, I want to stay around football. I want to stay around the game. I want to be on the sidelines. I love it. But then you realize. And, and the team reacted to that. And, you know, but again, 
it's easy to be the guy that takes over and you're the hero, especially when you come out of the gate like he did. It's not so easy once you realize, oh, this is, it's like having a baby. You know, you have this big buildup and you read all the books and you think you know how to be a parent. And then, you know, they literally, as they did with my daughter, they just wrap it up and hand it to you and they go, well, good luck. And they walk out of the room. Yep. And that's what being a head football coach is like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tell me about what the scene is going to be like, McGee. Like on Saturday, the Irish head to Ohio State and Ohio State, this is a five versus two matchup, right? That's where they are right now. Does that feel like a game that Notre Dame can win? They can win. The problem is where it is. The problem is that Ohio State is playing angry because they had a disappointing year last year. And only at Ohio State is a disappointing year, you know, finishing in the top 10 and winning the games they won and winning the Rose Bowl. That's a disappointing year for them because if they don't go to the playoff, then, you know, everything else doesn't matter. And so... That is Notre Dame's biggest issue, is that they're not just playing an incredibly talented, arguably the most talented roster in America. They're playing a roster that is uh, had their feelings hurt, and that's what Notre Dame's going to run into. But yeah, they can win the game. Uh, they can absolutely win the game. <laughs> but, they can win the game in the sense that I can potty train my daughter right now, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. well, no, listen, Notre Dame, because of who they are and because of their independence, this is a playoff elimination game for them. It is. And right. Well, that's, that's that, the stakes, the stakes. It's like, yes, you can in theory do this, but in reality, you might be dealing with a whole bunch of stuff spilling out of your diaper. It, <laughs> this is, it's all, my daughter's 17, man. This is too vivid. It's all coming back to me. <laughs> it's all, I can smell it. I'm, gonna, I'm, I, I, I'm still I, smelling I, it. When, when we were done with that, I literally took the diaper genie out in the backyard and blew it up with firecracker. <laughs> so now, now, now it's all coming back to me. After the break, we get one more college football parenting tip from Ryan McGee. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs of real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is, Not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. 
Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. So, McGee, we have covered the biggest names, the biggest teams, the coaches who have embarrassed themselves and us in various ways. But we've gotten to the part of the show where we have devoted some time for just the, the sickos, McGee, the college football sickos like you. And I want to start with just a team that you think can be this year's Cincinnati Bearcats, right? Like a non-Power 5 conference that can actually just make the playoff. Is that even a thing that's plausible to you? You know, I feel like the best and worst thing that could have happened to those kind of rogue schools out there was that Cincinnati did what it did. Because now I feel like the committee is going to, no matter what anyone does, they'll go up. Well, let Cincinnati in. What do you guys want? You know, you had your deal. and uh, But I'll tell you this. Watch BYU. Um, they have a carefully crafted schedule. They have a really, really talented football team. That is a well-coached football team, and they are intimidated by nothing. I still contend that one of the great aspects of 2020, we were robbed because of COVID, was that schedule BYU had in 2020 with the current – uh, New York Jets quarterback at quarterback, uh, that 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 schedule was made for a playoff crasher team. And so keep an eye on those guys because if they win the games, if they went out, it's going to be really, really difficult to keep them out. I don't know that they can, but that's just that team's going to be fun to watch. So you referred to all of the chaos that the sport had gone through in 2020, even into last year. And it feels, McGee, like reading how you have reported on this sport, it feels like there is at least one conference that you believe has preserved itself, that has remained traditionalist in a time of insane flux. So what conference do you love for that reason so much? The Sun Belt. Hashtag fun belt. <laughs> Listen, look at what those schools have done. And, and I'm, a, I, I'm very close to this because of the, the part of the country where I live. But if you look at what the Sun Belt has done and the teams that it has added and the games that it has created, and a lot of times the games that it has resurrected, there are rivalries in that conference, regional rivalries where fans can travel to other places and watch these games, that there is no USC going to Piscataway in this deal. You know, this is App State, Appalachian State, going down to the beach to play Coastal Carolina. And this is Marshall coming down out of the mountains of West Virginia to play Georgia Southern and Statesboro. And they've hated each other for 40 years. And might not be schools that you know a lot about if you're just a national Power 5 college football fan. But there's something to be said for hating your neighbor and playing your neighbor and and kids that played high school ball against each other and games that would go back to the 30s and the 40s and the 50s back in the in the, with the old NCAA 1AA days. So, yeah, it's fun. Hate is fun in college football. And so when you have a chance to create that, and, oh, by the way, you don't have to get on a plane and fly six hours uh, to play your games, I think there's some – that's never they're never going to get a $9 billion TV deal in the Sun Belt. Um, but uh, they are going to be entertaining on TV, and that's their whole goal. Yeah, Appalachian State, by the way. Shout out to them just because that was an Appy State tailgate was the first and only time I've ever tried moonshine. And it was passed to me in a jar by a guy who in my memory, which is admittedly broken, looked like an old prospector, 
but I've always had a fondness for the fun belt, hashtag fun belt ever since then. No, that's it. And in, 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 in Kid Brewer Stadium, one of the most beautiful places to watch college football in the United States. Yes. In the fall when you hit the leaves just right. And by the way, don't call it Appy State when you're there. Just call it App State. If you call it Appy oh, State, man. then some guy named Pappy will slap you for calling it Appy. <laughs> no, that guy, the, the prospector, is going to come out and punch me in the face. That is absolutely news I could use, but okay. Um, I want to go now to another far-flung place on the college football map. And this place is the last call at the bar for any Saturday evening of college football. McGee and, of course... We are talking about the University of Hawaii and Timmy Chang, who is their GOAT, who is now their coach, who also holds just about every quarterback record that exists. And so for people who don't know his legend, what is the legend of Timmy Chang? I'll tell you what it is, Miles. So Timmy Chang, and I have told him this to his face, Timmy Chang saved my life because you're talking about potty training your child. My daughter was born in early November of 2004. And my wife would have worked, stayed up with my daughter who did not sleep the first year of her life. My wife would be asleep upstairs and I would take my daughter down into the basement on a Saturday night. And Hawaii ended the year that year with either four or five home games. And they all kicked off after midnight Eastern. And it would be me and my screaming baby down in the basement watching Timmy Chang hang 550 yards and six touchdowns on like Utah State. And it was, he's the only thing, Timmy Chang, that kept me sane in the fall of 2004. And now he's back at his alma mater and I hope it works. I hope it works so bad. I know they just got throttled by Vandy in their first game. I have not given up hope yet. Not just because I'm an Asian American who needs a Timmy Chang at the forefront of the national consciousness, but because it's just more fun when he's in the game. He's the best. And, and, And to get to go back to your alma mater and turn a proud program that is on hard times to turn it around. They just had their stadium condemned. They're, they're playing in well, basically their practice field with a temporary stadium built around it while they build a, while they get a new Aloha stadium built in the next couple of years. And I'm pulling for Timmy Chang. When I was at the University of Tennessee, we'd go to a Tennessee game and the final score would be 12-9. to And then me and my boys would go back to the dorm and order a pizza and we watch Hawaii-San Diego State till 3 o'clock in the morning and uh, and it was 52-45 to and we thought we had seen college football Jesus. <laughs> Ryan McGee, on behalf of our stomachs, and our daughters. Thank you for joining us. Go change those diapers, son. Oh, God, I really do smell it. Not a joke. (laughs) I'm Pablo Torre, and this has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.